Welcome to the Guts and Glory podcast. And today is a special episode where I'm here all alone um, without my co-hosts, Dylan and Ching Han. It's meant to give them a break uh, as they have multiple commitments like exams and, and life in general. And sometimes me releasing some of these solo episodes, actually it's, it's quite cathartic for me um, to take some time off um, from stressful work situations. Um, I must say it's been a pleasant surprise of how well received the podcast has been since we released it. And we hope that we can continue to produce some useful content for all of you listeners out there. So, so in today's session, we want to have a little primer on how to take a proper history. And we will have a GI slant to this episode, obviously, because we are a gastroenterology podcast. So let's crack on with the content. I'm going to cover some broad principles of history taking. And hopefully this will be helpful for those of you who are medical students and also junior residents preparing for postgraduate exams because their history taking skills is an important part of our lives. So I must say, history taking is arguably the most important task that we do as doctors, but often it's the most neglected task. Um, even when it comes to an examination setting, um, many medical school exams and postgraduate exams, it's not uncommon to have history taking as the candidate's weakest point, partially because many doctors assume they're already good at it, which is why they don't practice it further. And some who actually know they're weak in it don't know how to practice history taking. So it's always easier to practice physical examination techniques and ignore good old history taking. So I would just like to introduce some broad principles of history taking to help you get better at doing this. So firstly, you need a system that you can keep using over and over again so that when you are nervous in an exam, you can actually do um, the history taking without thinking much about it. Also, if you're on call as a junior doctor, if you're busy, if you've done this enough that it becomes muscle memory, then you can do it efficiently regardless of time constraints. So this system needs to have breadth and it needs to have depth, which means that you actually have to be thorough, but at the same time, able to go deep into any area when needed. So one thing to note, patients know what they want to tell you usually because they have planned much of what they want to say while they are waiting in the waiting room in a clinic patient, for example, or if they are in the wards while waiting for the doctor to review them, they are actually already planning what they want to say. So the first one or two minutes of information from them is crucial. In fact, in an exam situation, the surrogate patient also wants to tell you everything that they know because they don't want to be responsible for your failure in your exam. Therefore, when you are having the, some kind of preparation time, be it in front of the, uh, of the station before you actually go into the examination room or before you actually see the patient in a real-life situation, you need to visualize a strategy of how you're going to approach the case. So how do we start? There are two main strategies that should underpin any consult, so any history taking. The first strategy is open-ended questioning, and the second is active listening. So that, how do we go about doing this? So your opening line needs to be mainly open-ended so that you can capture the richness of the information and do not give up with just one open-ended question. You try and chain a few of these in a row. So for example, one of the common open-ended questions that we ask our patients is, what brings you into hospital? Or how can I help you today? Or is there anything that I can help you with? So that's a very common way to start the consult. But once the patients have answered you um, the question, then you should ask a second or third open-ended question. So perhaps you can ask, describe to me exactly what you felt when you had those symptoms. You can ask also, was there anything else that you noticed going on during this period? So once you started asking questions like these, 
The next important principle is active listening. You have to try your best not to spend so much time thinking on what question to ask next, but rather focus on listening to what the patient says. And often what you want to ask will become really obvious. Right? So listening and hearing are two different things. Hearing is uh, listening what is said, while listening is hearing what is unsaid. So you actually need to not just listen, but to look at the patient and try and figure out what is the patient trying to tell you, which means that you shouldn't be on your computer or writing with your head down because you should be able to look at the patient at the same eye level, having a conversation. And there are a lot of people who teach you history taking and ask you to build rapport with the patient. But what ends up happening more often than not is that many doctors and students have very fake lines that they use only for exam purposes. Um, and what instead is more realistic and what I find helpful is to be more natural and just use the principles of active listening and having an open-ended conversation with the patient. And this will naturally build a rapport with them. So after the opening line, um, they usually will bring forward to you the history of presenting complaint. They'll tell you that they have chest pain, abdominal pain, breathlessness. There usually is one predominant symptom. So the key here is to determine what is that symptom. And there may be multiple symptoms, which can be very confusing. They may be related. They may be unrelated. So firstly, never ignore symptoms just because you don't want to address it. But they often it's just one main one that you can address first. And when you already know what the symptom is that they are most concerned about, the next step is to determine the chronology. Because often the clue as to the cause of the problem is found here. The sequence of things happening actually gives you a clue of what exactly caused the symptom to appear. So you have to have a very clear picture in your mind on what happened. And if you aren't sure, you must make sure that you ask until you are sure. An example of such a case is a patient who comes in with jaundice and he had been taking herbal supplements. And the initial diagnosis may be herb-induced liver injury. But if the chronology was not established, you may have missed that the herbs were taken because of the jaundice and was not the cause of the jaundice. So back to active listening. Here you want to use open-ended uh, ways to keep the conversation going. So the moment you've asked the history of presenting complaint, they've started telling you about it. You have to keep the conversation going. So to do this, I, I myself have learned from watching talk show hosts um, and how they conduct interviews. So for example, the late Larry King from CNN, those of you who, was, who are familiar with him, he, he was one of my role models and I always wondered how he could conduct a rich interview and get his guests to just keep talking about so many interesting things. And he later explained that it was the simple nature of the questions, sometimes just the way you time the questions and the clarity of the question, just a simple one like, what happened? And then the listening, and then the follow-up questions. But actually in all, what you noticed was the genuine curiosity of wanting to know what was going on. So similarly, when we are taking a history, we should be curious, not just to solve the problem, but actually to find out what exactly the patient is trying to tell you. So the next thing that's important is your body language. It matters a lot as well. So don't cut your patients off. Don't give body signals like you aren't interested, for example, turning your body away from them or appearing distracted. So these are ways to prematurely end the conversation, right? So in, in dissecting the history of presenting complaint, the chronology as mentioned is the most important part, but you need to also tackle the other features of the presenting complaint. So often, these will appear when you ask open-ended questions. But, but to be thorough, we have to keep at the back of our mind something like a Socrates framework. So Socrates framework, you may be familiar with, will be sight, onset, character, associated symptoms, time, exacerbating factors, and severity. Then once you have 
fully covered the history of presenting complaint, you have to move to the systemic inquiry, right? So for every system, there's actually a set of questions that you would want to cover. So for example, if you're dealing with a chest pain, a cardiology case, then you, you want to ask questions that revolve around chest pain, palpitations. If you have a patient who comes in with cough, so for respiratory medicine, you may have to ask questions about cough, about sputum. And for the GI system, we also have a list of topics. And we summarize this by the mnemonic A, B, C, D, E, F, G for easy remembrance. So A for abdominal pain, B for bowels, C for color, D for diet, E for emesis, F for fever, and G for GERD symptoms. So abdominal pain is straightforward, as Sean elaborate on it further. But for bowel movements, always establish the baseline and how that has changed from the baseline. So don't assume diarrhea or constipation just because the patient says so. And when we talk about color, it can be anything from the eyes to the urine to the stools. So we need to try and establish what has changed in terms of color of these things. Then for diet, we usually ask them about the entry of food all the way to meal-induced symptoms. So this will include dysphagia, early satiety, postprandial pain. For emesis, emesis just basically means vomiting, which can be different from nausea. So do ask for both. F for fever, we ask for fever. We ask also for other constitutional symptoms such as weight loss. And then we have GERD symptoms. So GERD symptoms are tricky, um, but we have to be clear that the true esophageal sim symptoms, they're just three, heartburn, regurgitation, and chest pain. Bear in mind that heartburn is retrosternal burning sensation that travels upwards. So if you have epigastric burning, that's dyspepsia. That's not heartburn. So you have to be clear. So when you ask these questions, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you will cover most of what you need to elicit from the GI history. But specifically, you also want to draw out alarm symptoms. And we have mentioned this in previous podcasts. We have a mnemonic called ALARMED, which stands for A, anemia, L, loss of weight, A for ancestry, which is family history, R for recent progression, M for melina or blood in the stools, E for elderly, and D for dysphagia. So we've covered the history of presenting complaint. We've covered the systemic inquiry. For other parts of the systemic inquiry, um, to know what systems to ask, we usually cover, I use a five plus five system. So what's this five plus five system? As you can see, I love using mnemonics. I love using frameworks because that's the easy way to remember things. So the five plus five system is five systems and five senses. So the five systems would be cardiology, respiratory medicine, neurology, musculoskeletal, as well as gynecology. So these five systems usually will cover most things, right? For, for gynecology, sometimes I include genital urinary symptoms as well. So the five senses are eyes, ears, skin, smell, and taste. So usually you want to ask them about their eyes, about their hearing, about their taste, about the smell, right? So the thing about the, the I mean the, the thing about um these systemic inquiry questions, you must know how to ask high yield questions. And I'd like to train many of my trainees uh, to ask these things. So don't ask questions like if your stool's yellow, if your eyes red, because these are very narrow, close-ended questions. So you have to ask them an open-ended question that gives them room to answer however they want to answer. So for example, have you noticed anything wrong with your stools? Another question, have you noticed anything wrong with your eyes? Right now, these are high-yield questions. And patients, if they have issues with their eyes or with their stools, they will tell you. They won't hide it from you. Right? So after the systemic inquiry using high-yield questions, we then explore the past medical past surgical and the medication history. Now for medical history, 
we have to be explicit asking about childhood illnesses, current illnesses, previous illnesses, because these conditions may be relevant. And we need to ask them how the condition has been controlled over the years. So some patients may tell you that they have old conditions. Uh, I mean, they may not tell you these old conditions because they have recovered from them, but they may still be relevant. So you have to ask for these. For medications, you have to ask them what exactly are they taking, if there has been any changes in dosing or types of, of their medications recently. For our local context, always ask about herbal supplements, traditional Chinese medicine. So for when you come to family history next, right? so we've covered past medical history and medication history, we need to ask family history. So when you ask the family history, what you want to know is what illnesses the family members have if there's a history of cancer, you have to ask them exactly what age they were diagnosed with, as this may point to a hereditary cause of their problems. So family history we've covered. And then the one of the most neglected one, which is the social history. So again, I have five components to my social history. Vices, home, work, lifestyle, and travel. So when we talk about vices, we talk about alcohol, smoking, contact with sex workers, illicit drug use. So we always ask these questions. Home will usually ask who they stay with, the care issues at home, pets, activities of daily living. Then work, we usually ask them past and present occupations, how their illness affects their work. Lifestyle will focus on sleep, focus on exercise. And travel is a, is a really big category. So what you should really ask are where you went, what you did there. And when you say what you did, we're, talk we're talking about activities, food, context. Then you have to ask them, were you unwell before the trip, during the trip, after the trip? Was there anyone else with you and how were they? So these are some of the common questions that we ask about the travel history, right? So once we've wrapped up all these parts of the, of the history, we move on to ideas, concerns, expectations. I'm going to spend a fair amount of time on this because this is where real doctoring takes place. So we always see this part as just a marking scheme that we have to check off for our exams. Right. So whether you're a medical student, whether you're a postgraduate exam candidate, often that's all it means to us. But for many doctors, we don't explore these enough because we often think they're not important. We want to solve the problem, but we forget there's a patient right in front of us. And I want to highlight to all of you here that that's not true, right? That this is actually the most important part of the history taking of the consult. Because these three things, ideas, concerns, concerns and expectations are essentially the patient's perspective of their illness. And knowing their perspective will actually help you understand how to educate them about their illness. It helps you plan a shared management for their condition. And more importantly, it makes that individual in front of you a human being, not just an illness for you to solve. And this is even more important in outpatient settings where the acute problem sometimes is not that obvious. So one question you ask yourself is this, what is the patient's agenda for being here? In other words, why are they here right now at this time? So you need to contextualize everything to the patient because everyone is different. Just because you saw one chest pain earlier, it doesn't mean it's the same chest pain to this individual in front of you. So you have to ask yourself, what does this symptom mean to this patient? Why is he or she telling me this now? So a tip to all history takers is this. Focus on the patient's narrative, not the problem. The narrative is the story behind the patient and their symptoms. So when you have a conversation with the patient, you will start to understand that there is a narrative, there's a story behind the entire symptom. And you have to capture all the information that you need through that conversation. So this is not as inefficient as people think. So sometimes people think that patients ramble on and on. And so we have to cut in and interfere and actually 
give them close-ended questions. That's not true. So I've realized that I can do a lot in five minutes with a patient compared to others going through an interrogation checklist, right? Because the diagnosis will show itself eventually. Most of your diagnoses are not difficult to diagnose. When the patient tells you the story, the diagnosis in the history, it's always there, right? Yes, we want to solve the problem and we will. But if you rush into it without acknowledging the patient's perspective, then several things can happen. So for example, if a patient tells you about their frustration and what they think, and if what you do is to judge them, like you said, oh, no such thing can happen. Or if you give them a, a reassurance that's too quick, such as, don't worry, everything is okay. Or you give them a solution without even considering other parts to their presentation. Then what you have done, essentially, you have shut down all communication between yourself and the patient and the patient will not be satisfied with the consult. And the long story short, if you be a human being first and a doctor second, oftentimes it's a win-win situation. Right? So I hope that this podcast uh, will serve as a useful primer for those of us who are doctors as well as medical students to learn how to take a better history and, and understand how to use the patient's perspective into making all of us better doctors. So for those of you who are unaware, we have a Padlet website. We'll put up the link to in, in our show notes. And it's, it's in this website where we house our infographics, our show notes and references that you might find useful to appreciate some of these episodes better. And so please share your, the podcast with your friends. Um, subscribe it if you, if you find it helpful. Leave a positive review, whatever it is. It's always useful so that we can keep this going. Right. So again, thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this podcast. I miss my co-hosts, Dylan and Ching Han. And in the next episode, we'll be back together again with them. So with that, thank you. Thank you.